0: Can I break in and just say, you know what's so frustrating to me is that I feel like so many of my friends would have been the Jeremy in this situation in real life. What? Like who? They're, no, Jeremy is weird. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna name names <laughs> on the podcast. Like, we can spell tea all, after. Yeah, we know oh all gosh, the same please. people. Like, come on now. We like every uh, Jeremy is mm-hmm. an archetype of every white dude sub forty. Come on, let's be real.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. I'm Nellie. And I'm Pate. And this week, we're discussing Jordan Peele's bone-chilling directorial debut, Get Out. Get Out was released in 2017, starring Daniel Kaluuya, Allison Williams, and Bradley Whitford. It won best original screenplay at the 2017 Academy Awards as well as receiving a positive reception from critics and audience members alike. Some even say it was a pivotal film in the genre, in the horror genre, showing that horror can be more than jump scares but forces the audience to think critically on larger issues.
2: This week we are joined by one of my best friends, Cameron Mitchell. Cameron recently moved to Nashville from Birmingham, where we went to high school together. Go Pats! He attended Birmingham Southern College, where he majored in music and worked at Trinity Methodist Church as their worship leader. He is a talented musician that can play any instrument he picks up and is currently the lead vocalist, guitarist, and writer for his band, Headcase. We are so excited to have him on this week as we
0: discuss Get Out.
1: Welcome, Cameron!
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: As a reminder, please stay tuned towards the end of this episode to hear more about our action items for this week. The presidential election is less than 50 days away. California is still on fire on account of a gender reveal party. (laughs) And the killers of Breonna Taylor have yet to be arrested. Now more than ever, it is important for us to stay active and hold each other accountable in our actions. Now, without further ado, let's dive into the pod.
2: Okay, so the first question I think we always ask our guests, Cameron, why did you want to watch Get Out? I know we kind of offered either Get Out or Us both by Jordan Peele but you ended up choosing Get Out as the film you wanted to discuss. And I think you should also share with the audience how many times you have seen Get Out, just so that they know that you are a professional at this movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I I saw it three times in theaters and probably um, four or five times since then. So we're we're in your viewing number 10 at this point. And uh, when you texted me and you were asking me, Uh, between us and get out my like first inclination was to say us just because this is a feminism podcast and uh obviously that is um a female-led plot uh which is i do love that movie uh but when i started thinking about it uh this film has a lot more social commentary uh that might go unnoticed to most people um and the more i watch this the more i feel like there's a film out there that kind of understands my point. I feel seen by this movie. It seems really uh, appropriate given the way in the town that I grew up in. And uh, the plot is just exceptional. Like there's so many Easter eggs. And like, especially uh, for someone like me, we, you know, we talked about this earlier, but uh, before we started recording, but this film kind of falls in the horror category, but it's not so much a horror film. I don't think, I think it is more of a, like a reality, for so many people that look like I do Uh, and I know this is a podcast but I am a black man Uh, and so I think that this movie definitely speaks to me a lot of ways I haven't felt like uh, films do speak so it's cool
2: yeah I definitely when I was thinking about like movies that you and I or just like movies I know you love the two that come to mind are Get Out and Star Wars, and Star Wars is just like I don't want to talk about that. Great movie, don't get me wrong, but
0: everybody likes Star Wars. It's not, it's not special yeah. anymore. Yeah, you could exactly. unpack
1: the feminism in Star Wars. You could totally. I think that talk could be about an interesting that. thing yeah. that we could mm-hmm. think about. Maybe we'll have day. Cameron on for a sequel
0: oh, <laughs> to talk about. Please that. do, please do. I'd, but, I'd love to be um,
2: here. I like. I watched Us. I loved Us. It was, you know, just as chilling and thought provoking. But in a different way, almost. And I thought Get Out just, like, it has a better plot twist. I think it has better commentary. Um, And, like, I just, I kept hoping that you would secretly choose Get Out, but I didn't want to tell you that. I wanted you to make that decision. Um, But, yeah, I also wrestled, I was like, the main character is not a woman. And, like, you and I both know the only women in this movie are evil, so, can we talk about this movie where women are evil and the main character is not a woman? Um, and I am glad that we are having this conversation because it's a great movie. And I think that we could, you know, talk a lot about these issues and white feminism and women characters in general.
0: Yeah, Jordan Peele definitely did an exceptional job when he was writing this of capturing exactly. He captured an experience. He you know, I, I I was talking to my roommate a little bit ago about the plot. And I think with a lot of films when, when uh the writers start uh, putting their ideas on paper, they start with a plot. But I feel like Drew and Peel started with experience and then found a way to work experiences into a plot. And um it's so cool. It's so cool to me. It's a great film.
1: Pete Kind of what you were just naming is a great transition into this next question of white feminism. So let's talk about it. Um, Let's talk about white feminism and kind of white saviorism of Rose in particular and kind of the racial power dynamics at play in her relationship with Chris. In particular, I'd love to focus on how she handles the cop pulling them over and asking for Chris's ID and how she handles her parents' comments when they first drive to the house. And she doesn't really handle them, but um, I would just love to hear y'all's thoughts and kind of, especially in kind of the modern day context of thinking about kind of this uh, this terminology that people are grappling with now, or just, I I don't know, engaging with now and being actively anti-racist. Of course, people should have been doing that long before this summer, but that's kind of been the, I feel like something that people are really tackling now and do we think Rose is being actively anti-racist? And I feel like if it's okay, I think it would make sense to tackle this question as though we don't know Rose's like true intentions. Cause obviously we've seen the entire film, but maybe kind of based on watching this movie for the first time and kind of after, after we've answered this, we could also kind of dive into her real intentions and kind of like the um, fan theories and things like that in terms of why she does step in with the cop and things like that. So I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on Rose and white feminism and white saviorism.
0: Well, yeah. All right. So, um, so as far as like anti-racism goes, uh, there was only one moment that I saw to be, I guess, Uh, anti-racism. And that's what you, what you said, Rose being pulled over by the police officer. And then, you know, the police officer asks to see Chris's ID, even though Chris wasn't driving, which is, very normal, like that's happened to me, even you know uh even though that's like not necessarily constitutionally necessary, it's something that still happens to especially black men regularly and uh, the only time uh, where I saw anti racism happening, which in my opinion, is like a black a white person using their like mind, body, and words to defend and step in front of uh, a minority that is more at risk. so the only time that happened was when the police officer pulled them over and started harassing Chris for his ID. And, uh, you know, like you said, it didn't really happen at any point when they got to the, the house and the family and the friends started harassing Chris, you know, she kind of just sat there and, you know, was, she acted appalled by it, but, um, she didn't really react to it. And there are some circumstances where, um, you know, anti-racism requires you to be, in, to make conversations uncomfortable. Um, you know, like I, I yeah. think that, you know, not to get too far off of the, the question, but like with racism, I think a lot of people think that racism means like I'm not actively committing acts of harm or violence against non-white people. So I think I think you can have black friends, you can have a black boyfriend or husband or wife and still be racist. To me, racism is anything that upholds the idea that whites are Supreme white supremacy. And uh, so you can have a black boyfriend, but if you vote for a candidate that uh, upholds white supremacy, then you are committing an act of racism. And so Rose, you know, with the exception of the one interaction with the cop commits several acts of racism by not standing up uh, in Chris's defense. And so or, I'm sorry, there's definitely just a lot of uh, moments and opportunities missed for for her to have been anti-racism as a yeah. white woman.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There was that scene where she's, like, brushing her teeth and ranting about her family. I was
2: literally just... Yeah, like, and at, like, it makes
1: me, like... It, like, both makes my skin crawl, and then also I'm, like, oh my gosh, like, the amount of times I've gone on this angry rant before. Like, it, it's, like, both me being, like, self-reflective, and then also just being so angry. Like, it's a combination of the two at the same time. And then be and she's like, I can't believe he said that, like, ah. and the, And then Chris is just like, I told you. Like, I told you mm-hmm. your family is racist. And then... That's the whole
0: uh, movie. <laughs> that's the
1: whole movie. She's so like, uh, excuse me. And she's like, yeah, I knew they were racist. Like, in the end, obviously. But when she's brushing her teeth and she's, like, ranting about them, like, that doesn't do anything. Like, that, like, for me, that is, like, the kind of epitome of white feminism white saviorism just being like oh I'm so angry about this thing but then not actually when it comes to like you just said Cameron like when it comes to being in the conversation when it's happening like when someone says something that is blatantly racist or is a microaggression or things like that to not just be like hey like not like to not call someone out then and then to just rant about it later it's putting all of your weight onto then in this case like putting it onto the black person onto Chris and
0: and that just made
1: me like so upset but then I also was like "Mm -hmm, I've gone on that angry rant before and then and and avoided a a situation just as Rose did so I think it is helpful having it framed in this way I mean continuing to be to be grappling with that
0: yeah yeah seriously and even even I have to grapple with it as a as a black man like I, I you know in every I don't hold personality tests to be all that sacred but you know on the enneagram or the myers briggs whatever personality oh my god i want I to know take, your enneagram
1: we, ha- we always I'm talk enneagram. about enneagram
0: <laughs> yes i am a 9 with an 8 wing okay and uh and that's i guess the peacekeeper or the peacemaker i forgot the exact uh wording yeah. that is peacemaker. On, the, on the chart peacemaker and then on the myers briggs i'm the mediator so on every personality test i've ever taken i when it comes to like real conflict don't want to interact with it like i would rather um, you know, if there's a mess in the house, I'd rather clean it up rather than have one of my roommates think I'm mad at them. And so I can definitely understand, especially coming from where the city I grew up in, Homewood with uh, with Pate, um, I can understand the idea of not wanting to make a situation more uncomfortable than it has to be uh, and just letting things go. But I've also learned that, uh, <laughs> I hope it doesn't sound mean, but it's like, if you do something racist and I call you out for it in a way that is a little bit embarrassing, you're going to remember that moment for a long time and you're probably not going to do it again because there's something about uh, embarrassment that makes us all learn. And like, I, I, I hate to like, make it feel like I'm being a jerk, but it's like, there's something about it that makes people understand. Like it's either you take on the embarrassment from the comment you just made or I take it on. And, uh, I've just kind of had to force myself to stop taking on other people's embarrassment because it is heavy.
1: No that wasn't I meant to a lot add scary. this.
2: I meant to add this into the intro to kind of like brag about Cameron. But I think if he ran for mayor of our city, he would literally win. like anywhere we go in Birmingham, Cameron always knows someone. Um, because he did work at this like very big well-known church in our suburb for many years, I think a lot of people like grew to love him because he's a lovable person and he could talk to a brick wall if you put him in front of one but unfortunately, like I think he does become you know Cameron, you've said so yourself like you've had to like be this person that has to have these tough conversations with all these white people even though that's not your job um and that they should be educating themselves so i think like i don't know i think i was just trying to brag about cameron and how how he literally knows everyone in homewood like it's <laughs> sometimes annoying because it's like you know when you want to go get ice cream and you don't want anyone to recognize you and then like cameron gets stopped by five families on the way to the ice cream shop um but i also think like you know ultimately. Times where you have to be the Chris in these situations, surrounded by all these white people, and you're like not necessarily alienated, alienated in a sense, but you know these people just think, oh, like oh, you know, like I have a black friend, it's Cameron, or oh, I have a black like worship leader, it's Cameron, Um, but then you know when you actually call them out and be like hey this is offensive to me like and if you truly love me as a person you would you know be actively fighting racism and I think you've had to have a lot of those hard conversations recently not trying to like put words into your mouth I think I'm just kind of reiterating conversations we've had
0: yeah well I mean and I I think I'll get into this later I didn't want to open with this because I think that there's a lot to be discussed I don't want to you know show the hand too early but um there's just something about like I've lived in Homewood since I was five years old or, you know, five to 23. So that's, what is that? 18 years. And uh, people love you for what you contribute to the community. And so it's like, yeah, I was your worship leader. I was on the drum line and you love watching the band or I'm friends with your son or daughter. Or, you know, there's so many things that I I like did for for people. And I think they valued me for those things. but, But, you know, the second I started speaking honestly about how those people made me feel or talking about race uh as it regards to our city i started losing followers and facebook friends and and you know like those things don't matter but it's very hurtful on the other hand when the people who have told you for so long that they love you and value you uh no longer want to hear what you have to say just because it doesn't align with the way that they see the world and um especially being like the only oftentimes the only black person in those spaces. Uh, so it just shows that like these people that will tell you they're not racist will then proceed to continue to be racist. And when you call them out for it, uh, they want to still demonize you as if you've done something horribly offensive to them. Uh, and I'll leave that there just because there I could go on about that for days. Oh, yeah, Like that is just something that, uh, I've, been trying to grab get my head around it for a long time uh especially at work now i have a lot of time to think to myself at work and just be alone and i can't there's not a day that goes past where i don't think about that uh and it just it puts you in a dark place and i'm still trying to figure out how to navigate it but uh it is rough and it's exactly what the plot of this movie gets into
1: yeah absolutely and it's it's yeah it's just fucked up that people will be like oh like i'm not racist and then when they have an opportunity to like have an educ, like a person of color should not have like the burden of having to educate everyone in their lives but then are that falls on them and then and like that's falling on you cameron and when you carry the weight of doing that and then people aren't receptive of it it's honestly just infuriating but again here's me going on my angry rant like rose goes on so
0: i need to <laughs> oh, <seriously. laughs> you know what i wish people would realize like i'm a lot nicer than most people like i have the patience to try and i feel like i have withheld a lot of anger for 18 years but here we are at my wits to end and uh i understand now why people have the urge to go and burn down a government building uh like i get it like it's yeah. because there's nothing else that works, uh, you know, whether it be Kaepernick kneeling on a football field or uh, LeBron James. You know, this is a great example. Uh, and, and then we'll get right back to your to the questions that you have. I don't want to derail this any further. But um, the other day when LeBron James decided to speak out against uh, racism and talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, Laura Ingram on her show on Fox told her to sh- told him to shut up and dribble within a couple of months back when Drew Brees said what she wanted him to say, you know, talking about respecting the flag and all of that. And my ancestors fought in the war, which also mine did too. Uh, I don't know why white people think that they're the only people that have ancestors, but uh, here we are. Uh, she, she told, she affirmed him and and like, it's the same thing that, so it's like, it, it's very clearly racist. And to pretend like it's anything else is just going to prolong the problem. And it's like, if you want to make it so it's either you can uh, you can address the issue that lebron james is talking about or you can address lebron james as an issue but the longer you put off addressing the issue at the core the more of this country that's going to burn down and i don't blame people for wanting to burn it down because you're not listening and it's the only thing that seems to get your attention so it is uh wild yeah (laughs) to say the least
2: there's always rose Rose's a character is like a great example of those people that are performative allies because I know we were just saying like Nelly, I'm being honest me too like I have gone on rants about racism to my family to my friends and then oftentimes I don't call myself out and I don't call other people out and have those like conversations that need to be had and so like you know watching that you know scene of Rose uh, talking to Chris about that part of me is like you know, in the back of my mind, I knew she's trying to show him that she is an ally because she wants to be, quote unquote, on his side. But I think that scene was just a great representation of what a lot of white people are trying to do by being allies, but fail to actually, you know, fix anything. They just want themselves to feel better, be like, I'm not racist. I can't believe so-and-so would say that. But they don't actually, you know, try and help the deeper root
0: of the problem well seriously though that's exactly well if if i if you'll indulge me here can we move to that uh white liberalism question that you that you uh were talking about um yeah absolutely um so you know you guys kind of prepped a white liberalism question and um the, the line in the movie that really uh represents that to me is the I would vote for Obama for a third term if I could line uh because it appears two or three times. Uh Rose even warns Chris in the beginning of the movie that his that her father is going to ask that question. Scripted. And it's gonna be awkward. it's gonna be awkward and just, you know, and so but I think that's like super represent representative of like the performative nature of white liberalism in America and um and just how it kind of is designed to make white people feel more comfortable with, I guess, an internalized sense of guilt. Uh, I can't really speak to that, but that's what it feels like. Um, White liberalism doesn't, it again, doesn't address the problem at the core. It's just like, how can I divert the pressure from me right now uh, and and feel like, and make myself feel better? It's like, so if I, if I like share this Black Lives Matter Instagram post, then wow, I've done my piece for the week. I'm going to just kick back and pat myself on the back. And it's like, I wish it were that easy like I really do but it's just like I don't think it's fair that I get to like fall asleep with the weight of it every night and then it's like you shoot your Instagram post and you think it's over and so the the white liberalism white saviorism is just like wild to me it's like you are doing nothing you were giving us nothing sister so come on
2: yes give us nothing (laughs) I knew that's what you were thinking in your head Cameron
0: yeah, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, so excuse me when my language starts. Like, I start turning into, like,
2: and TikTok. a Twitter, Cameron's a Twitter on
0: TikTok. stand. I'm um, secretly in the shadows on TikTok, like, things but <laughs> never interacting
1: don't go don't go look for him we paint brings up tiktok every episode we yeah that was my it. one time
2: okay I, mean, <laughs> I i didn't i literally didn't think i was gonna do it today i was like <laughs> i don't think there's a single time where i can bring up tiktok but there i go you
1: sent me get well, out tiktoks you totally I, could have brought
0: it up I, I send pate more tiktoks <laughs> than i send her texts so we talk more on tiktok that's our primary oh same. Communication at this point
1: <laughs> yeah i love sending her, people tiktoks
0: her and my sweet pal Lucas, they're the only friends that get my TikTok uh, algorithm. And I just send them everything. They send me everything. And it's, uh, yeah. th- it's the thing that Sometimes, gets me up in the morning. Mm,
2: Cameron will send me a TikTok that I've sent him. And he'll be like, oops, <laughs> meant to send that to Lucas. And I'm well, like,
1: it's like a triangle
0: actually. for me. It's a, it's, I want to get these
1: TikToks, places. I want to be in the triangle.
0: I, I'm right, inserting wait, need, myself. Yes, yes no, I'm going to follow you after this, and we're going to we're going to. It is that, not but, good
1: content. It is simply not good content. Uh, <laughs> that is on well, my TikTok. I did get so one funny. with like five hundred thousand views because I think it somehow got into the algorithm. It is not nice. funny though. But your
2: TikTok?
1: Yeah, did I ever tell you this? Do you remember oh that? I
2: found it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's your it's, mom. It,
1: it's my mom and my brother, and it says. um it's just totally my humor and I was like, ha, I'm gonna put this on TikTok and then it actually did kind of like blow up, but it didn't get very many likes. But if you look at it, it got a lot of But basically like 60, it was like six
2: hundred thousand views, girl.
1: Yeah. It said it's literally just I read I'm it's my voice and I'm filming them and I'm like who's bitchier and then my mom immediately is like me <laughs> and it just is so funny. But she doesn't say me, but she just like tilts her heads towards herself. But anyway, sorry.
0: <laughs> so um, a cultural staple. But yeah, Keep back to
1: kind of the white liberal demographic and thinking about like like you were saying, Cameron, just kind of posting a Black Lives Matter, like like the Black Square or posting like i think even putting like a black lives matter sign like yard sign in your yard like that set like makes the statement but it's not and that's important like the statement is good i'm not necessarily saying the black square is good i'm not endorsing that but i think just like making a statement is good but that's not doing like the actual work and like you said it's then putting all of this weight on people of color to then be doing the education when white people should be doing it for themselves. And I guess the reason kind of why I I wrote this question about the white liberal demographic is I think what's what Get Get Out does a good job of drawing attention to is just that white people that consider themselves to be like liberal and woke, they voted for Obama, they listened to black artists, um, they I don't know, are definitely very much like embed themselves in black culture, but aren't necessarily, they perhaps do not know very many black people. They do not, um, I don't know, like actually take the time to, like we said, engage in educational anti-racism. And I think that Get Out does a really good job of drawing attention to that and really calling out this demographic. Because I think oftentimes when we think of racism, we think of like Trump supporters (laughs) which again like we should be drawing attention to them as well but I think the white liberals often are get a pass um they and they shouldn't so I think well
0: it's exactly what you just said it's like we think that in America racism looks like one thing it looks like the Klan so you know to be extreme for a second people think like I'm not racist I've never lynched anybody but it's like no that's not it like you are racist because you would rather you instead of giving up a little bit of your privilege to like, um, I guess, be less of a gatekeeper and be more of a key maker. You would rather uphold your economic. I'm saying that in quotes. Economic values of conservatism and and, uh, and it, I don't know that I don't know if I'm making sense right now, but no, just the idea that the idea that someone would rather say, Oh, I'm not. I'm a social liberal, but. Uh, Fiscal conservative and like so, I can't in good conscience vote for Biden or or uh, Kamala Harris or well, whoever insert candidate or whatever platform. We, we think there's a separation between economics and um, socioeconomics and or, or, or even just sociology in general. And so, and I'm speaking in terms of race, sexuality, gender. You know, every social issue has an economic counterpart, and so you can't like this idea of uh, fiscal conservative, But so, like that, that doesn't exist because it's an when you're voting, yeah, when you're voting for this candidate, you're voting for everything that this candidate represents, and at that point, you're saying, "I care more about my tax bracket than I care about this person's life." And uh, I think, oh, geez, that's just this entire. Uh, that's exactly, that's what every, you know, I think they made the, the reference of it in this film, but just like the, uh, the the ironic nature that this person that would have voted for Obama for a third term has only black servants at their house, you know, if, assuming we don't know the plot, that's what you see when, when they roll up to the house. And so um, this film represents every aspect of America that um, black people see. And white people pretend like doesn't exist and it's just so nice to watch a movie that can effectively make that point
1: no i literally have the exact same opinion on fiscally conservative and socially liberal the amount of times i've just like i'd be like you can't have both like find me a yeah, kid you can get both you can't have it so well,
0: seriously yeah and i was what was i just i was just watching i was a tiktok here we are again on tiktok but a tiktok that, that me was just like TikTok it was sponsor me. Us. It was me, uh, but it was just this kid that was just saying, like, conservatives. Tell me again why you still want to hold your opinion? Because at every point, whether it be like racism or feminism, the idea of like not being homophobic or racist or uh, sexist, like all of those ideas, when they were conceived, were considered like socially like um, extreme leftist ideas, and that's just like, and now we commonly accept those ideas. So it's like why would you still want to hold that opinion? Because like at every point in history where we're at a crossroads of of race or sexuality or uh, or gender, those people and the opinions they hold always are remembered as the wrong one. And that's like, what's different now about Black Lives Matter or um, anything, anything. I'll just leave it there just because I understand. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Not conviction. I, I love that people are passionate about something, but it's like maybe examine what you're passionate about and uh, and try to understand how history is going to make you the fool if you don't change.
2: Cameron, mm-hmm. do you have like any specific topics that you wanted to bring up, or do you have like a question that you want us to answer? Um, if not, we have our questions. But I just wanted to ask if like you had like something.
0: Oh my specific gosh, that I, you
2: have been thinking about that you want to talk I thought about.
0: you'd never ask. Oh my gosh. No, um, I, I made a lot of notes just because, like I said, this is a movie that... Um, I literally
2: had, like... This is the most notes I think I've ever taken
1: for a movie. Hey, did so take a much. lot of notes. Pate's never taken this many notes.
2: Yeah, because normally so I watch it and, like, the main things, like, they stick in my brain, the things I want to talk about. But I just think, like, I haven't watched this movie as much as Cameron. I think this is my
0: fourth or fifth time
2: watching it i don't know but every single time you watch it you find something new and i just have to write them all down
0: well uh, i have a lot of notes and so i'm gonna try to disperse them appropriately and not (laughs) again hijack the entire
1: no go for it
0: podcast but like um i've been thinking a lot about the sunken place and what that represents like um i think that that is like something that happens in just a few moments in the film but it's something that's so significant and so it's this idea like you know you sink into this place where you have no control uh, over what's happening and so i'm just going to read exactly what i typed while i was writing and hope that it makes sense in the con it or with the lack of context uh but i wrote the sunken place to me represents uh the powerless nature of being black in america you feel powerless to make decisions for yourself and you've lost your sense of agency um you're forced to sit around and watch white people tell you how you're supposed to live your life and how you're supposed to be. And then the second you snap out of that idea, like uh, when Lake Stanfield's character, I can't remember, his name was Andre, his, his, um, and I I don't know if any, I know it's really easy to like not catch this, but he is the person being kidnapped in the beginning of the Mm -hmm. film. And uh, this is what happened to him. He became Logan, who was, I guess, the white person whose brain is now in his body. Uh, Logan's character, when uh, Chris snaps the picture and snaps him out of the Sunken Place, he is—he's like, "Get out, get out, get out!" And everyone's like, "Oh, this dude went crazy." It's like, no, he didn't go crazy. He just realized that, that that the system isn't. Chris is about to fall into the same trap that he got trapped in, and he's warning him. And so it's like, whenever I think the Sunken Place is exactly what I was saying about LeBron James and Laura Ingram when LeBron James s- snapped out of the Sunken Place in a, in a public fashion he was told to shut up and dribble like he was insane and didn't know what he was talking about. Um, and that, that's wild to me. It's like the fact that we, um, can, can allow something like that to, to still exist. Uh, and, and then the second that you, you snap out of it, uh, you're, you're treated as though you're the worst thing that ever happened. And Oh, he just went psychotic for a second and he's He had a seizure. Like that's wild to me. Uh, and it's so representative of, I've, like the the reason why I'm losing so many internet friends is just because apparently I've s- snapped out of our sunken place, and people are like, oh my gosh, she's unhinged. I gotta unadd him, <laughs> and it's it's so funny to me. Sorry, I know that was a that was a lot. No, <laughs> no I
1: think I that's think a that great analogy.
2: That take is so interesting because I always thought I don't know if I read this or saw a video on it. I watched a watched a lot of YouTube videos on Get Out because there are just so many Easter eggs like we've talked about. But I I always came to this movie thinking that the sunken place represented systematic racism for Black people or for Black Americans specifically. But Cameron, I think your your analogy and your point is better explains it because like, you know, there are instances where people snap out and at the end like Walter when he snaps out for a split second instead of trying to like, completely fix it he realizes like I would rather die I would rather kill myself than go back to the second place and I think that was like the most powerful one of the most powerful moments of that movie and I think Walter char- Walter's character he is so scary but I think that moment is just really intense and interesting and really I think shows how awful the second place is for them
0: well and yeah. And the the reason why, you know, I, I told you I've watched this movie so much and it makes me like I remember I've watched it now in prep for this podcast three times. And I, I just get more and more angry every time I watch it, um, specifically because I think about my grandmother, who she, my grandmother was born in 1930 and she died last year. She's my I love her. She's she's great, but she was great. But she was born in 1930. So she saw a lot of modern American history happen in real time uh and I remember I will never forget like waking up on election day in 2016 and seeing the results and just what and just thinking like damn this is how she feels like the sunken place is the best explanation for uh the reason why I think black Americans uh are are just so they feel so disenfranchised just because like This my grandmother was alive for the civil rights marches for Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and everything that's happened in the last 100 years just about. And um, she had to wake up to the results that the person that used the same rhetoric to get elected that she heard when she was 10 years old and when she was 20 years old and 30 years old uh, is now the president of the United States. And that is... Uh, to me absolutely sickening that that it comes down to opinions it's like it's racism is an opinion Uh, people like to paint americans modern day politics america's modern day politics as if it is all about their opinions it is not like for black americans every election comes down to which of these candidates isn't going to try to kill me and i don't think that people grapple with that like Trump or Clinton. It's like, sure, have your opinions. They might both suck. I actually would agree with that statement. I didn't like either of the candidates, but one of these candidates is not going to try to kill me uh, because at every point in, in, in the history of the Trump family, they have been racist. They wanted to see the Central Park Five executed at 14, 15, or 16 years old, but last week when a Kenosha shooter killed, or however fucking long ago it was, they, he killed two people Because he brought, a child brought an assault rifle to a Black Lives Matter rally and the president wants to defend him and say, or his son says, uh, Trump Jr. says that we all do dumb shit when we're 17 and that's your defense. But you wanted to put the Central Park Five away for know kill them when they were 15. I don't understand how people can still defend this as if it is an opinion piece. Like uh, part of me has like, had to grapple with the idea of like, what if I'm the next black man to be killed during a traffic stop? It's like, then will people understand that like, this isn't about opinions. This is about life or death. And uh, we always say in this country, agree to disagree. But what that mm-hmm. looks like to me is uh, rich white people getting to disagree from their mansions and my people have to go home and maybe die tonight. That's fucked up. And I don't, uh, I don't, Vibe with that logic. And I think that uh, America is, you know, it, I, I want to believe people when they say that there's something to be hopeful about with this country, but I just don't anymore. I, I actually talked to my grandmother for an hour and a half last night on the phone. She was the other, my other grandmother, she was born in 1940. She also was an adult when she was granted full civil rights. So yeah. I think she was 24 when uh, Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act. Uh, 24, I'm 23 for reference. So, um, it's just insane to me that she, uh, you know, she tried to talk me off of this cliff, but I just don't understand what there is to be so hopeful about in this country anymore. Because like, I I guess our Declaration of Independence was signed in 1776, but we're still fighting the same social problems that we were fighting then. It's just less extreme. Uh, Mm -hmm. And even then, if this is what less extreme looks like, I just don't, I don't know anymore that this country has what it takes to you know rescue itself from from the hellfire that it's built that it's kind of started
1: it's almost like more extreme because so much of it is like this swept under the rug silent effort in upholding this i mean there's also so much just blatant racism and murder murdering of black men and women and um but i almost think like i feel like when we talk about then and now thinking of it as, like, now less extreme, I almost think it's, like, this scary, it's like the virus a little bit, like, it is, like, this hidden, well, again, like I said, there's so much blatant racism, it's not hidden, but, like, this, I think when people are able to have the perspective of, like, fiscally conservative and socially liberal, things like that, or just saying, agree to disagree, like you said, Cameron, that in itself is being able to then have this, like, like, silent killer, essentially. Like, I literally think about it in terms of, like, the virus and how you don't know when it's getting from person to person. Um, but anyway, I'm probably getting into this, like, strange analogy territory. It is it so <laughs> hard
0: not to. There's yeah. just so many, it's so hard not to get in the weeds on this stuff just because it is so deep and complex. And, and, and you know, that's almost the curse of it. It's just that you have to understand there's so many prerequisites so to understand systemic racism you have to understand the founding of the country and like who did it and why they did it and understand that their children benefited my and and my ancestors didn't and then at the next generation their uh their descendants continue to benefit and mine continue to be subject to uh you know the history of slavery and so it's just like and and that's just some of my ancestors the other what's so crazy is uh is thinking about like, you know, I'm the descendant of both the slaves and the slave owners, which means that uh, there was a lot of rape that happened uh, uh, between the slaves and the slave owners and um, how, you know, how we just, we think about the social aspects, but we don't even think about the generational violence that occurred at every step. And, and, you know, almost like, uh, I made a note about this somewhere and I, I can't remember where it was, but it's just kind of like, um, rose kind of expected chris in this film to kind of just like i know they're racist but just get over it you know like my dad's gonna say this and i'm sorry it's gonna be awkward but just get over it so like for at every point you know people on um my side my ancestors were told to hey i know this horrible travesty happened but get over it um that's even being told today And, and and at what point are we allowed to like address the the hurts and the pains that have been plaguing this country since its inception it's just it's right. it's so jarring to me that people can still ignore it it's it's so prevalent even today especially today
1: yeah and it like connects back to like the way in which history has been written and things like that like I remember seeing a meme going and I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before but there's this like I don't know tweet meme whatever you want to call it I don't think it was meme, but it was essentially like racism in uh, when like the when civil rights is taught in like elementary school basically you're told like Martin Luther King Jr. went on a big walk and then like and then
0: And then it was over. And then Everything it was over. And, and, Rosa it. Was yeah. Yeah, really and, and Rosa Parks was just really
2: tired and didn't want to give no. up her seat on the bus because she was so tired. Those it's are like the only oh, wow. two people
1: we learned that about. That didn't happen. That's it. it. was literally like so slavery wild. happened. Then they don't talk about any of this huge time in between. Then they're like, the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King went on a big walk and now racism's, racism's over. And then I like, yeah. that way in which we're taught is like, Okay, get over it. Like, I think then because I mean, I was listening to this podcast that I really like recently, um, and I've been kind of binging them. So I've been listening like from now until back. It's called Girls Gotta Eat. It's like my favorite podcast. But anyway, Paint knows that I'm obsessed with them. But they, I was listening to like the kind of their episodes back in June, kind of at the height of the protests that are still happening following George Floyd's death. And for his murder, and I, like, one of the girls basically was, like, yeah, I didn't really realize, like, I didn't ever have, like, an encounter with, like, blatant, like, I didn't ever encounter racism until I was in college, and I was, like, wow, that is definitely a privileged thing to be able to say, and she's a white woman, so, like, she ha- was able to basically avoid that. Again, I don't know if I'll... This is me rambling on a conversation.
0: Well, (laughs) well, and, 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 you know, I can definitely relate to that idea just because, like, I grew, I moved to, I lived in Birmingham up until um, six weeks ago, so my entire life, practically, and um, uh, we moved to Homewood specifically when I was four and a half years old, right before I started kindergarten, and so, you know, all of my intelligent life has been spent in this, predominantly white suburb uh, that prides itself on diversity uh, which I think is funny we should probably check we should definitely check our definition of diversity it's like I don't think diversity is sure you have a thousand white kids and 200 black ones all subscribing to white culture but we call that diversity I think that's ridiculous but I'm not going to tackle that today but um, just this idea that racism doesn't happen like people like to tell you that oh that was a thing of the past and and it it really wasn't and and I was just kind of uh for lack of a better word indoctrinated to believe that it was a thing that didn't happen like my parents my entire life told me hey watch out for such and such because you're still black even though you're living in a white place and all your friends are white like sure um I'm privileged in the sense that I don't have to walk around fearing for my life, uh, like some people that look like we do. But at the same time, it's like, Hey, when this, when you're out in the middle of Jasper, Alabama, and you're with your friends and you get pulled over and you don't understand why the officer is treating you differently than he's treating your friends. This is why. Um, and, and, you know, thankfully I've never had encounters with the police that were like that. Uh, I'm also a, a super rule follower when it comes to most things. So that's not surprising, but, um, you know, I, I feel like I was taught my whole life to believe that these things don't exist. And it was reinforced by the fact that uh, living, growing up the, the child of wealthy parents, uh, just because they didn't happen to me, they didn't happen. Uh, and as I've gotten older and gone off to college and, and, you know, traveled a little bit more and especially moved, I've just kind of learned that they didn't happen to me because I'm the exception to the rule but they still happen to me and my family members. They still happen to uh, people that look like me or distant family members, even Uh, just, I don't want to get into too much detail here, but like talking to my dad, my dad grew up in, uh, I guess, South Memphis. Yeah. South Memphis in in the sixties and seventies and eighties. And so that was a drastically different place than I grew up in and and hearing his experience. and, And when we get into, um, yeah, you know, specifically my dad my dad was a professional basketball player and, and kind of as far as Birmingham goes is a bit of a minor celebrity and I don't say that to kind of brag because I think it's silly personally I think Lex. it's very funny <laughs> no no I, I, I hope that's not how that came off no it didn't
1: it did not I, come I, off that way at all I think it is I think <laughs> I'm just really giving funny. you a crap
0: um but my, my dad was um the UAV is the big university in Birmingham, University of Alabama, Birmingham. And he was their point guard for four years. And he currently holds, I think he's their all-time leading scorer. And he holds a couple of records that still stand today. So, like, I guess as far as my dad goes, my dad's dope at basketball. And I'm happy for him. I don't care because I don't play sports. So, this is not me bragging. I do not get my ego from sports. But uh, even he's been in Birmingham for over half of his life. And the things that have happened to him – uh, in Birmingham, even considering his status as a uh, as a player and as uh, radio personality or as a high school basketball coach, like my dad has accomplished more than most people ever will, but it still happens to him. So if it happens to him, it can happen to anybody. And you're just kind of taught to believe that it doesn't happen. You know, white people love my dad because of the entertainment value that they gave him in the '80s. That they gave. You know, he was he their favorite team won games because of him, and so we like him but do we like other people that look like him is the question I you know quite honestly I started ranting and I don't really remember where we started with this because this is uh, something that is so important to me but like oh I, it's so you know, important. I think you're very uh right when you it's just swept under the rug it is swept under the rug and uh the second you try to ex- pull the rug back and expose the dirt you are demonized and so it is exhausting <laughs>
2: Well, I think this could be an interesting segue to the question about who in the movie Get Out is the true villain. Um I think we can have some interesting thoughts on like which characters are the true villain and then also like, you know, I think there could be some abstract answers like racism is the true villain. Like yeah, we all know that 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 is the case. But um when watching this movie, you know, all these the the different characters of Rose's family strike me as so interesting. Like, the mom and the brother come off very cold. The brother, first off, just seems so crazy. And then the mom just freaks me out. Maybe it's because she's a hypnotist. I don't know. But, like, the dad, you know, he's trying to be this, like, charismatic, like, oh, I voted for Obama. Like, I know what you think because we have a black, black housekeeper, but I want you to know I'm chill. And then Rose... I think, Nellie, you could probably attest to this the most because this was your first time watching the movie, but I remember when I first watched the movie, I was shocked when I found out that Rose was part of her family's scheme and she wasn't actually, like, quote-unquote good. So I think that could be an interesting thing to talk about, like, who is the villain of this movie and then also, like, what is the abstract villain in this plot?
1: i just feel like the family as a whole is a villain i do think rose is like the ultimate villain because she ultimately brings him there and i think she has like the power the most power out of anyone
2: yeah she her actress first off let's give some props to her actress because she acted acted the heck out of that role yeah i believed her Were, were you shocked when she was like i can't give you the keys
1: No, yeah. I thought that she was like, oh my god, what's wrong with my family? Like, I literally thought, I thought that she was going to be like, oh my god, what's happening? Mm -hmm. I did not think that she was because even when they found all the, when Chris finds all the photos, all of these black men and women, um, with Rose, like, in in her closet and he, like, freaks out I think he thinks, and then we as viewers look at that and we're like Oh they've like hypnotized her and then I don't know done something cr- like hypnotize the black me- men and women like I think he thinks even still in that moment that Rose is on his side and I even yeah, in that moment still thought Rose had her had his back like I thought he he was still going to be able to get out of there with Rose I thought there was going to be this like big wild chase but I still fully be- believed even though i thought rose was shitty and was critical of her i was still like oh she's not part of this whatever whatever is happening and then yeah, and I when think she when you does, does that the like the second
2: time well when you watch this the second time you'll like notice when chris is packing up he's like do your parents know then she's like no but like you're the first black guy i've ever dated yeah. and then like when you see those pictures you realize that was a lie right. so like when you watch that again you'll realize like well, I you're I like how could i miss too? this
1: yeah I just really thought that like she was even though she was obviously shitty and like I'm critical of her character I still thought that she was like trying to like actually find the keys and like get out of there and I thought that she was like oh what's wrong with my family like can
2: what's up <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> but anyway
2: I wasn't necessarily surprised by the mom and the brother because they were so weird when you were watching them like you got at least for me I guess I can only speak for myself scary. Like, they give you the creeps. So I'm, like, not surprised that they were on that cuckoo shit. Like, not surprised. The dad, like, yeah, he was trying way too hard um, to be warm and welcoming. So I was also surprised by him, but not super surprised. But Rose was definitely a shock the first time. And so I would like to say, and I think I would – I'll talk more about this in the next question about if this movie is a feminist movie. But I think Rose betraying Chris, like I think you could argue she's the ultimate villain because she, just like you said, Nellie, she like brought him into this vulnerable relationship and he trusted her and she completely stabbed him in the back for the sake of her racist family. And as much as I hate her, she is just a genius character. And the way her actress portrays her is phenomenal and I think Peel, like the way he like wrote her and had her portrayed is just so well done that you are all like I think every person who watches this movie the first time is shocked and always has a bit of hope that Rose is still good and so that's why I would argue that she's the true villain because of that shock value and also just all that went into that relationship and it was all a lie
0: yeah for sure um i guess you you gave a character i'm gonna try to you you gave a character um but i also think like
2: you could argue like systematic racism oppression that is like the true villain that's what peel wanted us to like learn from this movie i think for
1: white like white liberals are the villain of this movie. <laughs> and i think that's good like i said earlier i think it's drawing attention to the the problem that i think white liberals often scapegoat christian conservatives or like the kkk or as being like that's what um racism is and like i'm saying this as a white liberal person so i'm not just like fuck the white liberals like i am one but like holding accountability of myself and others like it's drawing attention to something that i feel like we don't talk about enough so sorry to cut in but
0: (laughs) well and i I think even too i'll I'll take that a step further and i I think to answer your question who's the real villain uh and and to be i am i'm gonna try to be abstract and not be i'm also gonna try to tie in a bunch of things so please bear with me but um and if it does not sound uh competent then please edit me out but <laughs> but seriously like I, I think that the real villain in this movie is like uh blissful ignorance um in the sense that like when you see there's so much obsession and i think this is a perfect parallel to america there's just so much what am i trying to say uh obsession gosh I'm getting too worked up so much obsession over the physicality of black people so um you know there's so there's a lot of moments where uh, like at the garden party or whatever you want to call it, before they play the the dumb bingo game, which is essentially an auction block. Do the bingo it's game. Terrifying. I don't think we've talked about that, but you see the the woman feeling him and his muscles, and then talking about is is it really better? Talking about sexually are black men better? So there's so much about the physicality or um, the way that when they're about to carry him down to the basement for the procedure, the the mom, I think her name is Missy, says uh, talking to Jeremy the brother that you've already damaged him enough and talking about him, like he's merchandise the way they talk, you know, they keep talking about how he smokes and they yeah. keep talking about him and like you're damaging our merchandise and not your humanity. Um, all the things that they say at the garden party about, you know, fair skin used to be in, but the pendulum swung and now black is in fashion and, uh, all these things that are said referring to his physicality, um, and, and, or Georgina, I think a great moment is the night, uh, the first night he stayed at the house and he gets nervous and goes out in the middle of the night for a smoke. And you see, as he gets up, Georgina is kind of looking at her, uh, in the mirror or the window at her reflection and trying to get a sense of her physicality of like, oh my gosh, look at my black skin. And you see uh, Walter running laps, which is, I guess, um, it shows uh, the grandfather who was beat in the Olympic trials by Jesse Owens and he's going to train with his new black body. You see, um, in the pictures, I think you guys talked about this. Um, but you know, she, uh, Chris finds the box of pictures of all of the past exes of roses. And she sees, uh, the black woman who we now know as Georgina. Uh, yeah. she's, uh, in a, um, in a relationship, Rose and, and I guess Georgina's, body were in a relationship together and and during that relationship you see that georgina's hair is in an afro style and um it is uh afro it's an afro and when georgina as in the grandmother georgina uh takes hold of the body the hair is now straight which i think is a whole other easter egg about how black hair is interpreted in american society like afro styles are kind of frowned upon in a lot of of places yeah and white women or black women are they feel that their hair is especially black women uh they feel that their hair is policed by white people which is uh and this is me plugging don't touch my hair by solange everyone go check out i seat at the table great album Uh, don't touch my hair i have obviously very fun hair but uh i know you guys can't see this on the podcast but my hair is fun and people love (laughs) to touch it and it's like fuck off don't touch me
1: literally fuck off
0: and then I'm gonna try to wrap this up. I, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make two more points, um, and they're gonna be maybe separate. But I feel like this is appropriate. Um, You're
1: good. Go for it. I'm cracking open another beer. I know monitor, I have to talk so. for a while. No, Beautiful. keep talking. Yeah, keep keep
0: drinking. <laughs> um, but like, I guess I made one big emotional note about this film, and it is this. I will read it as verbatim as possible, and if it sounds like it doesn't make sense, I'm so sorry uh, because I was typing fast. Uh, But my take on this film is that it represents the hypnosis that America puts us under, especially black Americans. This film represents the fashion through which white people only value black bodies as far as they can contribute to their lives. Uh, And there's, they don't value the inherent value of those black lives. And so Uh, You're only valued as far as you can throw a football. You're only valued as much as your labor can contribute. You're only valued as good as your craft. So whether that's uh, I'm a musician, but Chris was a photographer and um, what is the guy's name? Jim Hudson, the art dealer that's blind only wanted Chris for his eyes. Um, But the second your value runs out and you're not contributing to the lives of white people, you are worthless. Your mind is not worth it. Like I said earlier, LeBron James spoke his mind, and Larry Ingram didn't think that mind was worth it. And, um, you know, black bodies are just seen as a vessel for white servitude, and I think it's disgusting. I think that that is ultimately what this movie represents, and uh, I don't know if you guys watched the alternate ending. There is an alternate ending, if you guys didn't catch that. but um, I hate it.
2: I don't like
1: it.
0: Well, I think the alternate ending is is the reality, though. Yeah, I think it's more so realistic. Yeah. It's and, what and, I
1: it's what I was anticipating. <laughs> I didn't like watch the whole Same. the whole thing. Yeah. But I
2: think that's the point where, like, yeah. we we know, like, when we see the police we lights, know. it's like mm-hmm. that's the almost reality. like a reflection of mm-hmm. of the country. Like, we know what is going to happen to Chris when yeah. we see the police and lights.
0: And so obviously, he's at the end of I guess the. Version that we consider to be the standard version, Rod pulls up in his airport police car and rescues him. And that's, I guess, the <laughs> film ending. But I watched the, uh, I don't know what version you guys watch, but there's a, a version with Jordan Peele's commentary. And he was talking about how um he wrote this movie during the Obama administration and a time where people felt like they were being woke and kind of waking up to these issues. And so he felt as though the world needed a hero and not the realistic ending and so the original ending actually ends with um the police pulling up and arresting chris because he's just killed rose and he spends months in jail and rod has been you know kind of fighting on his behalf to try to prove his innocence and that he has been falsely incarcerated like so many black men but it doesn't work because all of the evidence of what he's talking about has burned down with the house and the police rolled up on him choking a white woman and he becomes a victim of the very system uh, that we have been talking about this entire episode. Just like the fact that the system is designed to protect the lives and property of white people. And he uh, didn't abide by that, even though these people put him through so much physical, mental, and spiritual suffering. Uh, he is still a murderer for, for this cause because he, yes, he, he saved countless people potentially from the coagula uh, that these white people were running but he now has to spend his entire life in prison because uh his life isn't valued he's not taken at his word and um yeah i, I think that that's just very indicative of like the system that we live in because you know you look at trayvon martin he never got justice uh, even though he was legitimately just walking home from a convenience store and um uh, You know, I I applaud Jordan Peele for not trying to keep this film dark, but part of me wonders like in 2020, if he would have kept his original ending or if he would have changed it like he did, uh, just because like the world, I think that there was a sliver of hope in 2016 when this movie came out and I felt like that was a pretty good year for black excellence. We, like I said, we had uh, a seat at the table, my favorite Solange Knowles album. Please go listen to it. Uh, It's incredible. Uh, Black Panther wasn't that far behind that time. And that was um, that changed a lot of lives for black people to see that kind of representation. Uh, You know, that was a a good time as far as America kind of being at a new uh, level of peak awareness. But um, part of me wishes that for the sake of 2020 and the post-Georgia Floyd America and Trump's America, that he had kept that original ending just to keep people uh, in tune with the fact that that's how the situation would have come out had it not been fictional. Uh, I don't see myself being in that, in Chris's shoes and and not being imprisoned, if not killed uh, by the state because black lives are not valued the the same way that uh, Rose's life would have been.
2: I am not really sure how to segue that
0: I'm so sorry. No, point.
1: that was so <laughs> very, good. Very it important so good point.
2: And so important. Like, and like... You, you needed to say that. Our listeners needed to hear that. America needs to hear that. And I think that, like, as much as I hate that alternate ending, I've never thought about, like, the power that it would have if it was used today. And I think a lot of white people would be very uncomfortable with that and then have to reflect and realize that's the that's the reality of America. But... I'm kind of glad you brought it Black Panther because A, I've wanted to watch it and B, it kind of helps my answer with this next question of is get out a feminist movie because Black Panther is another movie where the main character is a black man, but Black Panther also has lots of strong, beautiful, empowered black women in the movie. So I think if we were to watch Black Panther, we could argue that it is a feminist film, whereas Get Out has a black man as the main character and no black women except for Georgina. I don't know if I don't know how we would how we would categorize her.
0: Georgina is critical to this film, by the way. I just I was thinking about that before. Like there is I think that there are a lot of characters that could have been replaced by any other type of character, but Georgina is like a great G- Georgina is just a great as great a character as Rose uh, you were talking about Rose being brilliant I think Georgina is brilliant
2: oh she needs an Oscar and
0: give her an so, Oscar and, and I don't remember that actress's name and please forgive me because I should know her name after that performance but gosh where's her Oscar from that uh the scene where he's like have the uh hermitage hermitage treated you where he she's talking about how she feels like a part of the family like oh my gosh Oscar 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 Anyways, please continue with your question. Uh, We just can't continue with talking about this movie without Oscars, you know?
2: The age-old question, is this a feminist movie? And I know the only women characters in this movie are evil or hypnotized. But I think it's an interesting question that we have to ask and we have to analyze. So,
1: Cameron, do you want to go first or should I? Oh,
0: I'll go first. Why not? Okay. Um, Go
1: for it. You're our guest.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so... My and my like, gut response is not directly. I don't think it's um, not a feminist movie. I think there's some moments where you see like a lot of patriarchal values reinforced. Um, so I guess detect points for that. You know, we see the Armitage family is very much so a patriarchal family where, uh, you know, you know what that means. I don't need to go into detail, but just like it's very much so like a it doesn't their family doesn't go against the grain on that respect. Um, I think that uh, there are some powerful female uh, personalities. I think that uh, Missy and Rose both kind of, uh, as far as the the personality uh, and and the character development goes, I think that they are very much so like uh, horrible independently of their family. Uh, And and even uh, Georgina at a point in how uh, when Chris rescues her from being on the side of the road and she wakes up in the car and starts attacking him and saying, you ruined my, my plan or whatever she says. Like, I think that that's very much so. She uh, says, you uh, ruined my
2: says, house. You ruined my is, house. And, and yeah. even
0: before that, she says, when, when Chris asked about the Armitage family making her feel uncomfortable, she says, no, 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 no. They make me feel like family. And uh, you very much see that she is, she says, I, uh, I answer to nobody. And so like, I don't, you know, I don't take that to mean that it's a feminist film, but I, I don't think that it's the opposite of that. Um necessarily I don't think it's like not feminist. I think that the women It's not anti feminist kind of, at all. Yeah, I don't
2: I, think it's anti feminist. I, I don't know, that it, it, You might
0: it doesn't it doesn't show the female characters being subject to the will of the male characters so much, which I love. You know, that's that's uh, unnecessary at this point in history. But at the same time, I don't think it directly is a um a feminist anthem, for lack of a a better uh, word. But I will say at the same time that I think a lot of, um, I think the cool thing about movements like the Black Lives Matter movement or um, the the movement that kind of keeps, that it's kind of led by black people, I think that it encompasses everyone that feels like they're subject to uh, the rule of law of white men. Uh, which i don't mean to demonize white men but when we look at this country look 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 who is uh subjecting everybody else straight white men are subjecting everybody else to their way of life and i think that when you look at the movements of black cultures and and uh and what they represent who they represent like you look at stonewall stonewall was an extension of the civil rights movement you know they're i'll just keep it short and say that um Black liberation movements are very inclusive. So what that means, a black man or a white gay man, or a white gay woman even like, I think that people who have been enslaved by an oppressor have a sense of uh, camaraderie with other people who have been enslaved by other uh, oppressors, (laughs) oppressors. And and, and there's just this desire for uh, freedom from that. And so, while I don't think that this is a feminist film, I don't think that this is a patriarchal patriarchal anti-feminist film. Uh, that's just me, but you guys are the experts on this. After what nineteen twenty episodes, you guys tell me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I was, would go as far to say I'm an expert, but thank you, Cameron. Um, I. I agree with everything both of y'all have said. I do think I would actually, if I were to like write a paper on Get Out in a women's and gender studies class or just like a gender and sexuality class or whatever, I would say, I would probably argue actually that Get Out is intersectionally feminist in the sense that it holds women accountable for the ways in which they're embedded in the white male patriarchy and how they're upholding it. And so I feel like, even though obviously this movie is lacking in terms of representation of women of color. um, I think it actually, to me, like my definition of feminism is like, I think feminism is bullshit if it's not intersectional. There is that quote that's like, my feminism will be intersectional or it will be bullshit. And I think that that is facts because, and again, like I'm saying this as a white woman who many of the movies we've talked about on this podcast have been like, largely like what we would consider to be white feminist films and we've thought critically about those but i actually think because of the ways in which this movie draws attention to the problem of white feminism and white saviorism i think in that because of that i would i would argue that this movie is intersectionally feminist because i think as a whole it is working towards the advancement like you said cameron of not just like black men but black women people of color um as a whole and then also in that same vein holding white women in particular accountable in which in the ways in which they are part of the problem and also just like again like we said like white liberals like things like that I think drawing attention to the problem to me is feminist because like you said anything that is working actively against the white male patriarchy i i don't know i would i'm sure i could like you could probably battle back and forth of like why this is like why this is and isn't feminist but i think that while we've oftentimes and it's funny because we've talked about whether or not every film we've talked about is feminist or not but we've never ever necessarily defined like shared our personal definitions of feminism which i think is good because we're kind of leaving that up for interpretation and we're continuing to define and redefine that Um, but I think for me, the representation of women in this case, it's about accountability. Obviously you don't see it really in action, but I think as a viewer, you're able to view it that way. And also just the ways in which other identities come into play. It's not just the gender component. Um, so I don't know. I hope that made sense. That was my hot take. Um I'm it was a ramble of a hot take. So hope hope my point came across.
0: <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was beautiful.
1: Oh thanks, Camera.
0: <laughs> Pate, do you have
1: a? Uh, um yeah, I think opinions? both of
2: you kind of said exactly what I'm thinking. Nelly, I think I, I was thinking what you just said, but I wasn't able to put it into words. So I might just piggyback on that. But I also um, have been thinking a lot about the character of Rose, and I feel like I said this when we talked about Gone Girl, but I think as someone who enjoys stories, it's important to have evil women characters, and I know that some people might argue that's anti-feminist to have women as the villains because we're already so you know, villainized as is, But I think when we actually have evil women, that helps, you know, broaden the different characters we see in film. Like, we have lots of good women characters, but saying that women can't be evil is then expecting all women to be good, which isn't the case. We are people, too, just like men. And, you know, I think Rose is an excellent character, Mm, not excellent character. Okay, I don't want to say that. I would not want to be her friend. I would her not be her. Her development was beautiful.
0: Her development was incredible. It was a well. I mean, I it was, was a
2: genius character, character on Jordan. Genius Gale's character. Part. I was so happy when she died, and I sometimes hate saying that because it makes me seem like I'm a psycho. But like, I was so happy when she died. I was so happy when the brother died. I hated him. I really didn't care about the it's mom and dad when they you know died. I was so, just like.
0: Eh. Can I break in and just say, you know what's so frustrating to me is that I feel like. So many of my friends would have been the Jeremy in this situation in real life. What? Like
2: who? There no Jeremy is weird. I'm not gonna.
0: I'm not gonna name names. <laughs> on the podcast. Like, we can go after. Yeah, we know oh all gosh, the same please. people. Like, come on now. We like every uh, Jeremy is an mm-hmm. archetype of every white dude sub forty. Come on, let's be real. Absolutely, and, you said it, I me. Geez, I did say that. I'm sorry if uh, anyone hates me because of this. I'm so sorry. Like, I this is not a personal attack. But if you feel personally attacked uh maybe reevaluate yourself anyways uh, I
2: think the whole point (laughs) is just that Jordan Peele is had excellent characters like he deserves all the awards he only got one he should have gotten more but
0: uh, he got the big one if I'm not crazy
2: no I think original screenplay like that says a lot Uh, that means you create like that means that you built this plot you didn't get it from a remake you didn't get it from a book like you sat down and like wrote this plot all right that was
0: that was the Emmys I want to know what did he get the BET awards do we know the BET yeah the BET awards if we're going to talk about black culture like uh what the BET awards had to say about this movie is probably hold on yeah hold on let me but like obviously the Oscars Emmys uh Grammys those are all very uh white centric award shows i want to know what the beat oh my gosh I, so like I think so much
1: about that video where that i think it's a black woman i can't remember but this guy's reading off all the nominees for director i think it was last year and she's just like congratulations to those men and it's literally <laughs> like oh. <laughs> wait the thinking, be tour the BET awards
2: just nominated it for best movie it didn't win
0: okay what, that's one well, i don't know long. let me get a look. that's a really good question because
1: 2017 let's see i love it this is literally going to be our, like our longest episode ever but i've been having so much fun I I've had today. oh my
0: this gosh best good this week
1: this is the most fun you've had today and you've been drinking since 2 p.m don't don't tell the internet
0: that i will take
1: it off <laughs> i'll take it off i'll take it off
0: no no keep it in keep it in i'm not a bitch I don't know. I feel like this is a pretty honest episode. If people only want to know wait. who I am. Okay, hey, well, wait, I Nellie.
2: Nellie, you actually love this movie, but I can't believe it.
1: It oh, beat no, Get Out and Moonlight. It? It's is it Hidden, little figures. Little Hidden
2: figures?
0: Hidden Figures? Oh, I like oh Hidden Figures. We'll I keep that. Hidden yeah. Figures no, is a little bit more. Uh, it was, I don't think it was a good movie, but it got the. I same do think games.
1: Get Out is a better movie than. Hidden and Book. Moonlight. Moonlight won Best oh, Picture at
0: the Oscars. Wait,
1: I do fucking love Moonlight
0: y'all remember the steve harvey or was it steve harvey no that was miss america when they got the wrong name wrong the name wrong for the best yeah. picture and they said it was lawland and have y'all seen that youtube video
2: oh i watch it
0: about every <laughs> two months when he's <laughs>
2: thanks for I letting us incredible. get up here but actually moonlight one and
0: were, the reason <laughs> i said steve harvey is because before that happened he did that with
1: the um the miss america,
0: america. yeah and, um, Whenever people, whenever the Moonlight thing got screwed up, uh, everyone started just tweeting that same meme of Steve Harvey at the Miss America pageant, and I thought it was the funniest thing the internet has ever done. And so, so whenever we talk about Get Out Moonlight, my mind automatically jumps to Steve Harvey. The internet is a crazy place. Oh gosh, it is. I'm ridiculous because I spend so much time on it.
1: Okay, well we should wrap up. So. Cameron, if you have any final takes that we need to tackle, but we did ask our last question.
0: I'll close with this. I'll say if any of my uh, white, especially my white friends, but just white people in general, if you watch this movie and you didn't feel uncomfortable, I would encourage you to watch it again because I felt uncomfortable watching it and I'm black. And if I felt uncomfortable, you should at least feel a little bit uncomfortable. And um, I would encourage you to watch it again and just really try to take in what it's trying to say specifically about you and to you Um, and I don't even mean that those things are negative they're just very honest I I applaud Jordan Peele for being able to write this honestly and um, still make a great film without just feeling like he's reaching and pandering so uh, please get something from this film anything because there's so much to get.
1: Thanks Cameron. Um, Okay, so as always, um, we have some action items for y'all. Yeah, let's just dive right in. Okay, so Jordan Peele and his Monkey Paw Productions announced an intended $1 million donation for five organizations they see as, quote, essential to the health and lives of Black people. One of the organizations they donated to was the Black Emotional and Mental Health Collective, also known as BEAM. BEAM is a training, movement, building, and grant-making association dedicated to healing, wellness, and liberation of Black and marginalized communities. Check out their website for all sorts of resources, toolkits, and videos, and support this important cause by making a donation to BEAM. Check them out at www.beam.com beam.community. That's www.beam.community. Mental health resources are so important, especially as we were talking about, just kind of the weight, the additional weight that people of color are having to carry every each and every day. Um, supporting mental health is important for all people, but particularly people of color. So check out beam and support. Thanks.
2: So my action item for the week is Black House. Black House is an organization that helps Black creative voices and executives gain a foothold in the film industry. They are committed to highlighting the power of Black writers, producers, directors, and executives telling Black stories. And they offer a fellows program for students in film school as well as tons of resources and events for Black creators to network and connect. So be sure to check them out at theblackhouse.org where you can donate and also learn how to get involved and help boost this great organization.
0: I didn't know anything about that organization, but I think it's awesome. I'm in a band. I obviously love the arts. I think support every artist, but I've recently- Cameron, plug your
2: your band.
0: My my band is called Headcase. Uh, We are on the internet at, or the at is at Headcase the band. Um, We have an EP out We're working on a full-length LP right now Um, That is way better uh, In my opinion I'm very excited about it But I just love art in general A lot of the reason I moved to Nashville Is because this is such an artsy place And everybody here is passionate about Something artistic And so I love what you just plugged though Because it's beautiful Uh, Support all artists And then when you're done doing that Go give like an extra five bucks to the black ones Because they have a lot to say
1: is there anything else you want to plug, Cameron? I know you just plugged your band, which is awesome. Um,
0: I know the Everyone second... should go
1: follow. <laughs> but if there's anything else, like if you want to plug your TikTok or things like that, oh jeez.
0: <laughs> the second we log off, I'm going to remember exactly all the things I really should have plugged, but I don't know anything right off. If you love an artist, especially an independent artist, uh, whether it be music, uh, visual arts, film, just go give them 20 bucks because it goes a long way. Uh, so just support your favorite artist. That's what I'll plug.
2: <laughs> so Cameron, do you have a quote from Get Out that you would like to share as we close? Did
0: so I have a serious quote? I have a funny quote. Let's start with the, the funny one. Uh, the thing that made me laugh hardest in this movie is uh I can't remember what's the, Rod. Rod's uh line that says white people be <laughs> White people love making people sex slaves and shit. That is the funniest line in this movie. Um uh, and then <laughs> On the polar opposite note, the uh, serious quote I have is uh, your existence will be as a passenger, which uh, is uh, said to Chris right before he's supposed to go in and uh, lose his body and be in the second place for the rest of his life. So uh, yeah, I think that I'll just let you dwell on that and get whatever meaning from it you can, because uh, I think we all have had moments where we felt like we were passengers in our own lives uh, so let's just imagine what that feels like if if it's permanent. And that's where I will stop talking.
2: <laughs> Cameron, thank you so, so much for coming on and giving us all your great insights. I know I've had the pleasure of being your friend for so long and our porch conversations after 3 trulys always end up like this, but I'm so <laughs> glad that other people can hear it and experience it. Um, so thanks for coming on. and thank you yeah, thanks for having thanks, me.
1: Cameron. This yeah. was so much fun. Been,
0: seriously, I have not, uh, I did not realize how much I had to say about this film and I appreciate you guys sharing your, uh, your weekly platform with me. This has been so much fun.
1: No, thanks for sharing all your genius surrounding Get Out. And yeah, this was one of the more fun episodes we've done. So thank you. Oh,
0: beautiful, beautiful. Anytime. <laughs> I would love to come back. Hit me up whenever you guys. Yeah, are like when we talk about Star Wars, we'll have. Oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> episode one hundred. When you guys are like really scraping the bottom of the barrel, there, it's like, who can we talk about Star Wars with?
1: Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that could
0: be sooner than you think. Oh, not please. episode one hundred. We will not be there for a while, but. That's so um, fun. Well, thank you guys again.
2: Yeah. This has been Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. Bye. Bye.